0: Well, I'm thrilled to be joined again by Barbara Murphy, who's providing us ongoing updates about the situation in the greater uh, New York area. Barbara, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk to you again.
0: I'm curious. Um, it's been a few weeks since we last talked, and, and at the time it seemed like things were starting to plateau a little in New York. Since then, it sounds like things have improved. I'm just curious as to what the current situation is.
1: Um, yep, things are substantially better. Um, We are back to near normal census wise, though still, you know, much higher than we would normally be. And uh, we are below 50% COVID in all of our hospitals at this point. Uh, The field tent is gone. Um, And now we're looking at our new normal in healthcare. I think the one thing that really strikes me is that the You know everybody's regarding this disease as an acute disease, and we're beginning to realise that there are probably going to be long term effects of this disease on people. Um, Certainly, there a lot of the patients are not just bouncing back and recovering quickly. So we just announced that we are opening our um, centre of excellence for um, post COVID care to take care of this multi Uh, organ disease. So it looks like people are continuing to have issues with regards to pulmonary uh, kidney disease, heart disease. Um, You know, some of the patients have had strokes uh, and other thromboembolic phenomena. So we are uh, covering that as well. And also the psychological effects of not only having had a significant illness, but having been in the ICU for a long time so we've got a, a group of multiple specialties together in one place to help coordinate the care of patients that had COVID, whether they were admitted or had significant disease and
0: at home. So just so I'm clear, it sounds like you're combining or you're adding to the, the center of the mental health effects on the patients. Do I have that correct?
1: Yeah. We're also including rehab um, and I, and I think I mentioned neurology as well.
0: What about the mental health effects on? And this is a point you made early on. What about the mental health effects on the physicians and the trainees and sort of the rest of the healthcare workforce?
1: Clearly, this is something that is going to have significant impact on all of our staff, faculty, nursing, um, and healthcare providers. Uh, the um, this was not like, or is, and it's not, we're not through it, is not like anything any of us have ever seen before. Um, and we are preparing and have actually throughout all of this have been very clear about the supports that would be given to people that were on the front, front line and, and taking care of patients, not just you know on the inpatient, but also on the outpatient uh, as well. A lot of mental health support. For healthcare providers, and and now the dean, whose area of expertise is resilience and PTSD, has set up a uh, institute for PTSD to help provide support for our staff, uh, nursing and physicians, you all of the employees within Mount And um, you know, it's not only the effects of working on the floors and in the outpatient practices. I think this also. A Brought a lot with what brought with it a lot of stress around taking care of one's family, uh, looking after yourself, and um, being afraid of getting a COVID yourself. All of these things. So it's been an incredibly stressful time um, for people in healthcare, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we provide the supports for them now that we are moving our way through it.
0: How do you see sort of the formal part of of medical education? So medical school residency and then fellowship training at least for nephrology how do you see it tra- changing as a result of this pandemic
1: well we're looking at virtual graduations um and trying to figure out how to do sp- something special for them virtually which is is hard and challenging but we're working on it and um, we're looking at uh virtual recruitment and planning for that for the fall for residency and for fellowship and trying to I, I you know figure out how you represent your institution and your specialty in a, a very positive light. How do you actually manage to interact and get a good sense for what the candidate is like by Zoom or whatever app you're using? Um, so it, it's that's really interesting and challenging. The, the other part of this is not so just not just for nephrology. Is we're looking at having reduced ambulatory care, in person ambulatory care. So, you know, having decreased potential experience for fellows to interact in person um, with patients and doing a lot by telehealth. We're looking at um, remote monitoring and chronic disease, remote chronic disease management. And and I think that's here to stay. So, we are uh, both with residents and fellows. Exploring how do we incorporate that into the educational experience because they're going to have to get used to this. It's not just a stopgap for COVID, a lot of this is going to be here to stay. And in fact, we can reach more patients this way. Um, even with uh, dialysis now, we're using more telehealth. So, how do you do that, include fellows, and supervise appropriately is an, another aspect of the changes within education, supervision of house staff, et cetera. So a lot going on, a lot of learning for us, and a lot of consideration going into how to make it interesting and challenging and exciting uh, for our house staff.
0: I'm curious too, I would would think that that one of the trends that was occurring before this pandemic, and I would assume now has accelerated, is less classroom teaching and, and more online resources etc is that a reasonable assumption as you're thinking about particularly thinking for medical students
1: yeah definitely uh, more um online more you know kind of over the internet the all personal interactions over the internet um which again you need to put a lot of thought into because if students could learn everything online we would have done this ages ago you know there's the individual um ad- ad- additional attention that's needed uh, you know the ability to ask questions, all of those sorts of things, and um, that that are important. So, you know, I think the the students are were sort of used to that already. I mean, they had already declared that they didn't love coming to lectures, and and liked being able to get access to education on their timeline. So this kind of extends out from there. But I still think that the personal interaction, getting to know the students, getting to know what they're good at. And um, It's very important from the perspective of guiding them for the future.
0: Yeah, I think from an ASN perspective, I and mean, if you kind of took off your Mount Sinai hat and put on your ASN hat, there's an opportunity here for ASN to start organizing online, you know, creating content that would relate to teaching kidney physiology to medical students that then institutions and individual students could access. That um, could be really interesting and very exciting in terms of. of you know, the way it's presented and and who the presenters are, et cetera. I'm curious as to, you know, we've talked a little bit about what's happening clinically and what's likely to happen in the educational arena. I'm curious from a research and scientific perspective, what's happening in Mount Sinai?
1: There continues to be a huge effort around COVID research, the implications for the various organs and understanding the pathology of this Disease, um, but a lot of work around immunology, virology, um, de- you know, developing the an- the antibody which was approved by the FDA, FDA not currently approved um, quantitatively, but it, uh, working in that direction and using that antibody uh, to identify individuals that have high titer antibody convalescent serum and hopefully soon hyperimmune globulin. Uh, looking at vaccine development, still multiple clinical trials. And really, again, what's what's amazing about this is the energy, the enthusiasm, the focus, and the incredible uh, collaboration between um, multiple um, divisions, departments. Um, I mentioned the Centre of Excellence. We are, with that, partnering it with a a registry uh, for long-term follow up We had a a database, a a data collection, and biorepository on patients that were on the inpatient. We want to continue that to get longitudinal data, and we are structuring it somewhat like the World uh, Trade Center registry and biorepository that we have, and have worked with the people that are overseeing that to learn from them, learn what worked, what what didn't work. Um, so that we don't replicate any mistakes and we set this up in the best possible way. But I think it's an incredibly important initiative to understand the long-term implications of COVID.
0: How do you see your registry interdigitating with other registries, either from other institutions or from sort of other specialties? I was curious as to how, and I know NIH is also... Um, pursuing something related to these activities. I'm just curious as to how we connect all these dots.
1: I think it'll be very important because obviously there's different geographic, uh, socioeconomic variations in the disease itself and how it infected different populations, how different populations responded, our different geographic regions, how different healthcare systems, et cetera, responded, how different states have responded. Um, and I think having this data um, will be from different areas and different centers will be incredibly informative. Obviously, the more people that are collecting this data, the more data we have, uh, the more we can learn, um, and you know, we identify different patterns and behaviors within the disease. So I think this is fantastic. This shouldn't be competitive. This should be collaborative also, because clearly we're all in this together. And the more we can learn, the faster we can learn, um, then hopefully the, the quicker we manage to get a grip on this.
0: Is a final question, I'm, I'm curious now that you've had time, you know, things have calmed and you have some time to reflect. As you think about the last couple of months and you could give advice to any of your colleagues who have yet to really experience any sort of surge, either now or perhaps in the fall, What's the one thing you want to make sure that they hear?
1: Don't underestimate this disease. You really plan. I think it's plan for, and if it doesn't happen, that's okay. But make sure you have a plan in place that you have your, your faculty and your staff aligned and ready to go. And that, uh, that you're prepared. I think it's the biggest message I could, could give. I have to tell you, it was, uh, It was nerve-wracking at the peak um, in in New York. um, And we got through it. I mean, waiting for it to go up further was really nerve-wracking. And reaching the peak and seeing us having got through it and come down was a a huge relief. And we got through it because we planned and anticipated. Um, You can never be truly certain how bad things are going to get, but if you're not prepared, it's going to be even worse. So I think that's the biggest takeaway that I can I can give.
0: So in hindsight, what was the biggest mistake you made, either you personally or the institution or the city?
1: I think the biggest mistake in the response was the lack of testing, and because there was a lack of testing, we weren't able to control, and so it wound up being worse than it should have been. So I think a huge effort needs to be put into making sure that we are prepared for any further bumps, peaks, or increases in the number of COVID that we can isolate and contain. Otherwise, we'll go through this again.
0: Barbara, thank you for taking the time to talk a third time. I've learned a lot. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.